Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Putin said he had known Prigozhin for a very long time and called him a man with a complicated fate. Many speculate the Russian president had a role in the deadly crash, but it's also possible, according to experts, that Prigozhin felt he was in trouble after leading a mutiny against Russian military leaders back in June and faked his own death. So often nothing is what it seems on the surface, and what the Russian state says is often very different from what's happened in real life. Ukraine's president wasted no time in stating his country had no role in the crash. It's not out of the realm of possibility that Ukraine or one of its allies would be blamed for downing the plane. Crystal Gamansing, Global News, London. So here's what I think. The sun rises in the east, yeah? Still does that every day, doesn't it? So I think with the predictability of the sun rising in the east, you can pretty damn well predict that Prigozhin is dead because Putin pulled the trigger. And what I found particularly interesting is the fact that Prigozhin's plane was for sale last week, and on the day he died, apparently in the morning, some representatives of a Russian airline got onto the plane to have a look at it. So what do you think? And then an American investigator who's done a lot of crash investigations on planes looked at some of the footage and said, well, there are holes in the plane that looked like they came from the outside. Hmm. And the wing, when they, when they saw the video of the wing, it was a clean shear. Now, what are the chances that all the bolts let go at the same time and the wing just floated to the ground? I think Mr. Prigozhin and his fellow passengers and fellow co-founder of the Wagner group mercenaries, they paid the price for their their abortive run at Moscow. So we have that. And uh, this this is another development, of course, a major development in the war uh, with uh, Ukraine is fighting for its existence with Russia. There's also the story that the Russian military members, there's a Russian military unit fighting with Ukraine, led by former Russian special forces commanders, They're trying to take down Putin. They have now invited leaderless Wagner mercenaries to join them in the fight against Putin from inside Ukraine. My question is, will the Ukrainian military put up with this? Because the Wagner mercenaries are alleged to have committed atrocities against Ukrainian citizens and military members. So what are the chances the Ukrainian military is going to say, yeah, that's fine, you can come in, we'll, we'll, we'll welcome you. I just don't see that happening. There's another development. Ukraine will now be receiving what it's been asking for for since the beginning of this invasion by uh, Putin. U.S. built F-16 fighter planes, about 60 of them from European NATO members. That's going to change the deal in the sky a little bit, because F-16 is a really excellent fighting platform. What else do we have? Well, let's talk to our guest about that, Alexander Sherba, former Ukraine ambassador to Austria and member of the Ukrainian diplomatic mission to the United States. He's the author of Ukraine versus Darkness, Undiplomatic Thoughts, joins us quite regularly. 
from Ukraine. They're seven hours ahead of us. Alexander Thary, thank you very much for, for joining us. How are you? I'm very well. How are you, Roy? I'm well. Uh, I, I'm not at all sad that uh, Prigozhin's gone from this planet, but what's your sense of what happened? Well, quite frankly, uh, uh, shortly after this, uh, you know, uh, putsch in Russia or the attempted putsch in Russia, uh, I was visiting France. I was on a, the conference and there were all kinds of, you know, very liberal, very soft uh, intellectuals at that conference. And all of them were saying Prigozhin won't survive two or three months. I mean, these Europeans who are used to a different, you know, um, to, to measure life by different measures than in Russia or even in Ukraine, they were absolutely, uh, you know, convinced in that. And I was saying, you know what, I cannot imagine that uh, Putin would be this blunt, uh, but apparently he is, because I have no other explanation uh, for Prigozhin's death, but uh, you know, uh, the, the the person who controls everything in Russia. And, uh, well, it just uh, it just shows how um, uh, scrupulous and how, how, how basically he threw the caution to the wind and he, he doesn't uh, care about uh, how the world would see it. Uh, most importantly, uh, how Russians would see it. And Russians, Russians want to see... Putin as this strong man, and he just reinforced this uh, picture of him. Yeah, he projects power, doesn't he, in uh, in Russia? Yeah. Plus, I don't think that he would have enjoyed that when uh, Prigozhin took his abortive run at Moscow, that the people in Rostov in Russia were welcoming the Wagner mercenaries. Basically, he was second second most popular person in Russia, and he could... Uh, uh, if if Russia was in any way a democracy, he could be a front runner or you know a competitor for Putin. Uh, anyways, uh, I, I think I think uh, there are many political, uh, psychological uh, reasons uh, for Putin to do it. But still, you know, it's so obvious and so blunt. Uh, I think I, I saw the number seventeen uh, higher uh, officers in Russian army. Uh, including General Sorovikin, were um, removed from their positions because they, in one way or another, sympathized or liked uh, or supported Prigozhin. Um, so even from this viewpoint, uh, I mean, I thought that Putin would wait up maybe a month or two or three, uh, a little bit longer, but no, he did it now. Yeah. It's like a mob hit. Um, how does this change the equation in the fight with Moscow, because Putin did rely on the Wagner mercenaries to supplement his rather poorly performing troops. Does this change anything? Well, the good news for Ukraine is that Wagner Group is basically uh, right now incapable of, you know, fighting the fight. Uh, and they were uh, the most, you know, uh, capable uh, military unit in the Russian army. By the way, uh, another military unit, smaller in size, but uh, very fanatical, the neo-Nazi Rusic group uh, led by uh, Alexei Milchakov uh, announced uh, yesterday that they are stopping their fight because the uh, a close friend of the field commander who runs this group was uh, detained in Finland. And as long as that story isn't resolved by 
Russian government, they are not fighting for Russian government. So it's uh, another, you know, piece of uh, puzzle falling uh, away from for Russia. So it's 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 good that Wagner uh, isn't isn't a factor anymore, or more or less uh, uh, anymore, especially right now where. Ukraine is fighting the uh, toughest part of this war, uh, trying to cut this uh, Azov Sea uh, corridor uh, through, and basically to cut uh, Crimea from, you know, uh, military supply. Yeah, let's come back and talk about that in a minute. But I just just have one more question: Russian military members. There's this unit, a unit. What's the name of the Russian uh, military unit that's fighting for Ukraine? Uh, it's uh, the uh, Russian Volunteer Corps. Okay. And they are commanded by former Spetsnaz, um, Russian Special Forces commanders. And I saw, um, I saw a, a video, actually, of the Wagner mercenaries who are now leaderless because both of the leaders of the Wagner group are gone. These, um, these Russians in, inside Ukraine, this military unit, they're inviting the Wagner mercenaries to join them in the fight against Putin. How will Ukraine's military accept these individuals if they do it? Because the Wagner group are accused of atrocities against both the Ukrainian military and Ukrainian civilians. Mm, quite frankly, I don't see uh, this happening uh, because, uh, well, uh, Wagner group... Uh, uh, they are mercenaries, and Ukraine won't pay them uh, to fight. Uh, so, uh, and they are, you know, they, they don't have any ideology uh, to fight for. Um, only money, uh, and uh, of course, uh, they are hated in Ukraine, and uh, every Ukrainian soldier sees them as an enemy. Uh, plus, uh, they have lost uh, numerous thousands and thousands of their own comrades. In uh, in the battle uh, for uh, uh, what's 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 the city? Uh, I just uh, uh, in Donbass. So, right, um, right, right. And uh, therefore, I don't see Car quite frankly the emotions. Uh, but you know, for the, the battle for Bakhmut, and yeah. the, I don't see the emotions are running too high. Uh, for these, you know, mercenaries to come all of a sudden and fight with Ukraine. Okay. Alexander, so how is the counteroffensive going? Let's talk about that first, please. And let's add to the to the equation. I know you're not getting them today or tomorrow, but the F-16s are coming. How much of a change is that going to make? Well, this is the toughest fight of this war, of course. Uh, uh, people uh, often compare uh, this counteroffensive that we're having right now to the uh, offensive counteroffensive we had last year uh, during which the Kharkiv Oblast was liberated which was which was uh, mostly um, due to the element of surprise we russian we struck war where russians didn't expect and we made enormous strides there uh, and the whole oblast was liberated. Here is the other case. Here is a whole area which we need to retake. And Russians knew we will fight, we will go, go for this, you know, uh, Azov Sea corridor. So they had uh, um, almost a year uh, to prepare for our counteroffensive. And uh, uh, unfortunately, we have been waiting for rather long time for, you know, sufficient weapons to arrive, unfortunately. The uh, aircraft never arrived uh, until now, until until the coming months. And nevertheless, despite the superiority of Russian troops, uh, despite the, the area 
uh, that got mined, uh, which basically can be compared to an area of um, small European state. Um, Ukrainians are breaking through. This week was uh, brought a couple of very, very uh, positive news. First of all, the village of Robotina was retaken. And from that village, it's 20 kilometers to the strategic city of uh, Tokmak. I remind you, there are three strategic strategic cities that we need to retake in that area to cut through that carried cor corridor. That's uh, Militopol, that's Berdansk, and that's Tokmak. Tokmak would be the first one retaken by Ukrainians. It's it's it will come and it's coming at a normal cost, but Ukrainian army is uh, moving ahead and. Uh, uh, all, all we ask our Western partners about: don't despair, don't you, don't overuse the word stalemate. There is no stalemate. We are moving ahead. Yeah, you are. I, I just remember when the when the Russians invaded twenty second February of uh, twenty twenty two, the the prediction was: oh, they'll be in Kiev in seventy two hours. They'll be in Kiev in twenty four hours. Where are they? They're running back to their being pushed back into their into their own country. They're being pushed back into Russia. Um, so as, as we look at these developments now, how is the effort going to, and, and, and I don't want to forget about the numbers of soldiers, military uh, members, men and women you've lost in your military and how many Ukrainian families have lost a family member. It's in the millions of families, uh, I understand. But how is the uh, effort going forward to supply a very hungry world with the grain Ukraine has, and which Russia is still attempting to stop being exported to the world. Well, uh, our casualty in this war is uh, in the uh, it's, it's uh, in the uh, dozens of uh, thousands. Uh, um, so it's uh, we don't have the number, but uh, it's not in millions. Uh, but uh, the number of people who were impacted, including the families, of course, it's in millions. Every practically everybody. Uh, knows uh, or is related to someone uh, who who was killed in this war. So oh, the, the, yeah. the death toll is enormous. Mm. Uh, the grain uh, problem, the the the, the um, uh, this you know grain agreement that we had, and then Russia uh, stepped out of it. And uh, right now, Ukraine is trying to uh, go ahead without uh, Russia's permission and without Russia's say so. And uh, it's uh, happening. Uh, at least uh, this week, uh, there was a second ship that uh, went uh, through uh, to Ukrainian port uh, uh, that uh, basically went uh, broke through this, you know, blockade by Russia. Plus, uh, there are uh, you know of other ways to bring Ukrainian grain to the global market. It's difficult. It's, it makes the whole effort much more costly, of course, uh, and it's, it costs money to Ukrainian budget. But uh, that's the cost, the part of the cost that Ukraine is paying in this war. If you want to hear more, subscribe to the Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.